You're listening to Simply Disciples, a discipleship podcast designed to help Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in a changing world. Thank you for joining us on Simply Disciples, a discipleship podcast designed to help Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in a changing world. My name is Daniel, and I'm joined here this afternoon by Tim Ringquist, uh, Chad Donahoe. Chad, first first uh, episode with us. Good to be here. Welcome, to be here. Chad. Yeah. And then that's Aaron Ellis. Aaron is our worship director here at Deer Creek. Well, some of you may be familiar with the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a pastor in the 16th century. He's best known really for being the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation. Some have called him the most significant figure of the second millennium. And during the time of Martin Luther, the church was in a very dark place spiritually, even to the extent of exploiting its church members. One way the church exploited its members was through indulgences. In the Middle Ages, the idea developed that although God does indeed forgive sinners— It's appropriate to try and express your gratitude for forgiveness in various ways. And one of those ways was financial. Because God forgave your sins, you would express your gratitude to God by, for example, endowing a church or giving money to charity or something like that. And these payments or gifts had the name indulgences. But by the early 16th century, this idea had become twisted. People were now being told, hey, give money and your sin will be forgiven. Your father or your mother has died, and you may be wondering if they've made it to heaven. Well, if you buy an indulgence, they'll make it. In fact, there was an advertising slogan for indulgences, and it went like this, where when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul to heaven springs. In other words, once you've paid this sum of money, your mother, your father, or other relative will be delivered from any torment they're going through in the afterlife and will find their way safely to the pearly gates. The church also developed doctrines that were very odd and at times outright unbiblical. For example, the doctrine of purgatory, the doctrine taught that when you die, there's not just heaven and hell, but there's a third place called purgatory. They also taught that you could pray to dead Christians of the past, cooperate with God's grace to merit part of your salvation to heaven, and that the Pope of Rome or church councils were the final and ultimate authority in matters of faith. But then came Martin Luther. Luther opposed many of these teachings, but the primary teachings he opposed was this last teaching, the teaching of who or what was the ultimate authority when it came to matters of faith. When the Bible said there was only a heaven and hell, and the church or the Pope said that there was heaven, hell, and purgatory, who should people believe? When the Pope said salvation is by faith plus works, and the Bible said it is by faith apart from works, who should be believed? Who had the final say? Who should we listen to? In other words, was the church or the Pope the ultimate authority, or was Scripture, the Bible, the ultimate authority? And to answer that question again, I'm Daniel Nealon. We have Tim Rinquist, Chad Donahoe, Aaron Ellis all joining us. And you guys, how would we answer that question? Who or what is the ultimate authority of our faith? Well, I'm reminded of um, something that is mentioned in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter one and um, part two. It says this. You you have the confession memorized. Uh, n- <laughs> <laughs> he has a pocket version. Yeah. Pocket he, version. He just, <laughs> okay. All right. I just do my homework. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. So it says this. Under the name of Holy Scripture or the Word of God written are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testament. Okay, then it lists Genesis through Revelation, 
all which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. So the 66 books in the Bible, the 39 in the Old, the 27 in the New Testament, this is the ultimate authority because it is the Word of God. And, and us calling it the Word of God is what makes the Bible distinct from all other writings in the history of humanity, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, obviously we all love the Westminster here based on the fact that it's a great summary of Scripture, but the, uh, the Bible itself makes strong claims. The fact that in Ephesians 2.20, that our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And apostles and prophets, New Testament, Old Testament, right? That's what it's getting at there, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All of Scripture. And speaking of all of Scripture, you have 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's helpful. So what we're saying is, hey, Scripture gets the final say because it's the Word of God. That's what the church is built on. So that's really important. And this is different from Roman Catholicism because Roman Catholicism teaches uh, something very different from this. Roman Catholic Catechism uh, says, quote, in brief, sacred tradition and sacred Scripture make up the single sacred deposit of the Word of God. In other words, Roman Catholicism says that the tradition of the church and Scripture are on an equal playing field. That is the Word of God. If you want to know what God says, well, look at tradition, look at Scripture, and the combination of both of those. It also says, quote, the church leadership exercises the authority it holds when it defines doctrines, and it obliges the Christian people to an irrevocable adherence of faith. So what that means is, hey, when it comes to doctrines like purgatory, which we mentioned, that binds a Christian, a a Catholic person, to irrevocable faith. So if the church says it, that really is, the the buck stops there. So Roman Catholicism teaches scripture plus tradition is the ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. So that's it. We must adhere to it. In a sense, um, the scripture needs the authority of the church to mm-hmm. help it out. Yeah, right? that's right. Yep. <laughs> and that's, that's, right. that's again, that's what makes um, the the Protestant doctrine of um, Scripture alone mm-hmm. so different, that that we believe that the the Scripture stands on its own authority. Yeah, that's right. By itself. And that's good. It, it, when we talk about authority, too, you know, we're framing it right now in kind of the 16th century or 17th century, but this is still a question today, the question of who or what gets the final say. And we're still wrestling with that today. It just might not look the same exactly. Yeah, you've mentioned Roman Catholicism, and and that's important, and that is a a slice of the Church um, that's helpful to understand, but it it really does go beyond that. We're not—when we talk about authority, we're not just talking about Church authority— we're talking about the sources that people in our day, Christians, turn to to guide their faith and practice, and, and, and oftentimes people turn to other things than the Bible or just church authority or tradition. Um, we turn to things like experience or our feelings. Mm-hmm. How do I feel about whatever this is, rather than maybe what does Scripture say, and I need to conform my feelings. That's right. Eventually, yep. uh, my feelings will be conformed to what Scripture says. Um, tradition, as we mentioned, but also reason. What makes sense to me, apart from looking at Scripture? These are all different sources that we go to um, for authority that didn't just happen in the 16th century or in response to 
um, some of the teachings of the Catholic Church. And I would just be curious, what what other kinds of examples come to mind for, for you all? Yeah, when I think of experience, I do think of the idea of feelings. And um, I think oftentimes we're looking for confirmation through just good, um, ecstatic feelings, right? So sometimes people request, even in worship, I think of worship. So you think about just even some of the nomenclature um, around describing worship. And it, and so you think of a worship experience. And we, we, you know, hold this service together so that people can come together and experience God. And often what's Refer what that's referring to is the fact that people are looking for some ex, uh, feeling of ex, of experience, right? Um, and and I I think I I experience this uh, often with song requests. Uh, people judge the quality, the theological quality, even of a song based on how it makes them feel. So because it, it because it invokes a good feeling, it assumes that maybe that just that's God working in that song, even though that song. <laughs> might not be the most theologically accurate or correct very song. Biblical. Yep. Yeah, or yep. yeah, very mm-hmm. very biblical at all or even mm-hmm. singing things that we should be singing about at all. So mm-hmm. So sometimes people will look to their experience of yeah. was that a good worship service? Yeah. Well, what was my experience of it? Yeah. Oh, which, I, which when yeah. when you stop and think about even that wording, it, it is getting it backwards. Yeah. Because then worship is for us. Uh-huh. Our worship right. of God is for us, yeah. when in reality our worship of God is for Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And w- of, of course we want to engage in that with all of, of who we are, including our minds and our emotions, but to gauge the authority of something or the truthfulness of something based on my emotional experience, yeah. that is that is a slippery slope that, that can be very dangerous when we disconnect it from Scripture. When you're answering the question, did, did this give me goosebumps this morning? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> right? Right, yeah. That's a book I read in the 90s. Um, goosebumps. <laughs> Those are good books. Tim, Those were good books. Tim, as you mentioned, Slippery Slope, I, I think here's another one that I've heard often over the years, and it's that we have the word peace in our Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes this there can be a subtle, but it's a significant twist that um, it's if I feel a peace about this, that then it's right. It must be biblical, scriptural, and and that can lead us, if we're looking for that inner peace, to make decisions about particular relationships or actions that are downright sinful, but I have a peace about it. Mm-hmm. And so peace isn't always trustworthy. I sure. think we could yeah. also ask the martyrs on that one. My, mm-hmm. my guess is they did not feel a peace about death. Yeah, yeah. that's um, right. But it was right and good and biblical for them to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. You know, when it comes to tradition even, we think tradition maybe is like institutional tradition, but you even think how this plays out in uh, people's lives. Um, and I know I struggle with this, you know, when it comes to what scripture says about something, sometimes that bumps up against, well, my parents always did it this way though. Yeah. Or this is how I was raised. This is how I grew up. This is how mom and dad treated this. And that can sometimes override what scripture says very clearly. You know, I think we uh, also can have language around, I could never believe in a God who would do blank. Mm-hmm. Well, you realize that what we're doing there is we're using our reason as the ultimate authority. We're saying, no, I think God should act this way. This seems more in line with what God should do. And therefore, even though Scripture maybe says something opposite, Scripture should kind of submit to my reason. So we just have to be careful about uh, making sure the ultimate authority is Scripture in all these. Yeah. So uh, a question I'll sometimes hear, I I have friends and and even family in, in different traditions. So if the Bible is the ultimate authority, if the Bible is the Supreme Court, 
Does that mean that it's the only authority? Yeah, that's so good. It, it, mm-hmm. We can talk about it as the final authority, but does that mean it's the only authority, as if none of those other things are important, significant, or we should never expect to have a feeling that aligns yeah. with Scripture? We should <laughs> sure. never look to the history of the Church. Um, yeah. You know, all of us studied in seminary, and mm-hmm. the topic there was Church history. Is that just useless? Mm-hmm. Or are there things that we can learn and helpful, authoritative, true things that we can learn from tradition? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Daniel. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it, that there's the Supreme Court, but there are other lower courts, right, that mm-hmm. also do important things. So our experience actually uh, serves an important function in the way that we encounter the Lord and have a relationship with the Lord. Same thing with tradition, right? Uh, the church has thought through things before. It's not the job of every Christian in every age to rethink what the Bible says about every given topic. No, we've had plenty of people that have done that, and uh, you know we can stand on those those folks' shoulders. But an important distinction here is there is a a magisterial or ultimate authority, and then there's a ministerial authority. So a magisterial authority is an ultimate authority. We're saying, hey, at the end of the day, no matter what my script, what my um, feelings, my tradition. Uh, my experience, or uh, my reasons say, they all have to ultimately at the end of the day submit to the decision of Scripture and where it speaks. And then we just call those other authorities, the the four that I just mentioned outside of Scripture, ministerial authorities in that, yeah, they do have things to say, but when Scripture speaks on it directly, they submit. So that's that's where the, that's helpful. That's yep. where the yeah. distinction lies. Okay, so let's go bottom line on this one. So why? Why Scripture over tradition? Why Scripture over our feelings or inner experiences? I have a feeling Aaron's going to quote the confession. I was just about to say. (laughs) Put him on the spot. (laughs) The Westminster Confession is very helpful on this. It says this in uh, chapter 1.4. It says, The authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. So we say scripture gets preference. Scripture has final say because it alone is the word of God. God is truth itself. Scripture is from God. Scripture is God's word. Therefore, we can, we can fully say that it is truth. Only scripture has been inspired by God, and it is the word of God. Therefore, it is the final and ultimate authority. That's what we're saying there. And, and that's what Paul says writing to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 3. He, he refers to scripture as these, these sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. So the, these, you're, if you want to be wise for salvation, look to the Scriptures. Don't yeah. look to my opinion or your feeling. Look to the Scriptures. Look to the Word of God. Yeah, and uh, Paul there says that these words were breathed out by God, mm-hmm. right? And this is inspired. That's sometimes translated that way, but breathed out by God, which means when you're reading the pages of Scripture, every word of Scripture was breathed out by God, and every word is inspired by God. So because of that, we can say, hey, God is inerrant. God doesn't err. So we know his word is not going to err. God's word cannot fail. So therefore, it's infallible. It cannot fail to achieve its purpose. You know, there's those scriptures that um, 
God's word will not return void. It, it has a purpose and it'll always accomplish that purpose. So this, and, and it's also helpful to remember, this isn't just parts of scripture too. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you have like a red letter Bible and you think, oh, the red letters, because they're the words of Those Jesus. Those are the good ones. Those are yeah. the good ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those yeah. are the words of God. No, uh, they are the word of God, but so are the words that are black. Mm-hmm. So are the words that were in the Old Testament. So are the words um, in the book of Numbers even, right? The ones that we gloss over or don't tend to, to the, read in our Bible reading plan. The ones that Jesus had as his scriptures were yep. the Old Testament words, are the, which are the black <laughs> ones. Uh-huh. Yep. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So... Scripture has final say, and it is the final, ultimate, as Daniel was talking, magisterial authority because it is the only inerrant and infallible, infallible source we have. So the Pope or the church or tradition uh, and tradition from the church, they can't claim that magisterial authority. Mm-hmm. Neither can our experience or feelings or reason. So all of those things are fallible, but the Word of God, we believe and we confess, is infallible. Yeah, infallible. And I don't know about you all, but my feelings and my experiences, I recognize their fallibility all the time. Yeah. Especially my reason. I, I mean, I, I've I never had... I reason regularly. I know, <laughs> I know. Well, I've never had a dispute uh, with anybody that I come away from that and being like, you know what? I thought about everything perfectly. I knew all of what I should say. Usually I come away from most conflict with people and saying, man... Yeah, I really thought about that wrong. Wow, I was really blind there. Whoa, they really. Yeah. Or your feelings? Have you ever or had? Feelings. Have you ever yeah. felt one one way on one day? Yeah. Slept on it. The next day, none of your circumstances have changed, but no. you just feel different. Right. That's oh, right. Yeah, all the time. That's right. Yep. Well, final question here, then, guys. You know, if it's the word, it, if it is the word of God, does that mean Scripture is not the word of man? Because each book of the Bible was written by human authors, right? It's the book of Isaiah. It's the book of Jeremiah. It's the book of Ezekiel. So how can it be the word of God if it's written by men? Right. The Bible did not just obviously drop into our laps. It was written oh. with human fingers. Wait. but <laughs> I was taught something different. <laughs> I think he just burst Daniel's bubble. <laughs> oh, man. We'll talk later, Daniel. But I, so second, Don't worry. Second Peter 21 here is helpful. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that mm-hmm. carried along by the Holy Spirit is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. It It is, as, as we're making that point, that it is both, it is 100% written by God and mm-hmm. it is 100% also written by man. Man is the vessel, and it's not like... Um, you know, the writers of Scripture are um, just sitting there uh, in a trance, completely robotic, not even having any clue. Um, there are other cults who actually, that, that is the experience, but mm-hmm. that's not the sure. experience that we believe um, is, is taught in, in Scripture for the, for the Christian Bible. But no, it is uh, definitely man um, recording th- their thoughts, and, and those thoughts are inspired and led by God. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think that what you were just saying there, Aaron, is borne out in that passage you just read, yeah. Chad, right? It's men mm-hmm. did not write by their own inspiration, but these men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You have both, the Holy Spirit, who's God, you have men, and you, we say it's a product of both. So it's 100% the Word of God, 100% the Word of man. I like the way you put that. Yeah, absolutely. So to wrap it up, Scripture is the final authority then. Mm-hmm. Agreed? Yes. 
Sola Scriptura. Mm -hmm. Scripture is the final magisterial authority. It's the supreme court for our faith Mm -hmm. and our lives that we should look to um, for our uh, true source of truth and um, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, and everything else should be subject to that. Knowledge of our faith and our practice. Yep. And this isn't arbitrary, and it is because Scripture is the Word of God. God inspired Mm -hmm. the words, all of the words, all the words of Scripture. So therefore, because they are God's words, they are infallible and inerrant, perfectly true, because God himself is truth. That's good. That's good. So, brothers, if we're going to encourage members of Deer Creek Church to dive deeper into this topic, we would direct them again to Kevin DeYoung, taking God at his word. Same right? as last week. Same yeah, as I, last think, week. Yep. I think that's the last episode that we did. Yeah, I think that's a very helpful resource on this and um, that we can help make that available. Absolutely. And you can find that at the Next Steps table at Deer Creek. Thanks for joining us for Simply Disciples, a discipleship podcast designed to help you at Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in a changing world. Join us next week. We'll continue this discussion on Scripture. Take care. Take care.